Episode 41 of G.I. Joburg, the Net Sony podcast broadcasting from South Africa, talking about G.I. Joe. And today, as part of our five-part epic, we're talking about the original Marvel Sunbow animated miniseries, The Revenge of Cobra. <laughs> My name is Steven, and as always, I'm joined by... This is Paul. And Robert? I yeah? Think. I think? That was scary? <laughs> Paul, is that you? Yes. <laughs> Gotta get that checked out. <laughs> Before we even start talking about this episode, I just want to say two words. Ho-bra! Okay, who says that? We're going to talk about it later in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. And this evening's episode is entitled The Palace of Doom. Doom. It, it originally aired on September 12th, 1984. And in it, Cobra and the Joes head for the Palace of Doom, an alleged cursed Aztec temple to retrieve the first fragment, the Ion Correlator. Cutter, Wild Bill, and Spirit, along with Doc, Torpedo, Clutch, and Rock and Roll, head to an unstable island in the Pacific called the Island of No Return to retrieve another fragment, the Hydromaster, and are opposed by Baroness, Firefly, and Zartan. The Joes retrieve the Correlator, but they lose the fragment to Cobra during an earthquake. That was courtesy of Wikipedia, <laughs> and there is no mention of Spirit or Storm Shadow in that. Yes. Maybe that's supposed to be a secret. That's probably the standout moment. Well, one of the standout moments for me in this episode <laughs> was their battle Storm later in the episode. But the, yeah, let, let's let's just get to this. What happens? So, did Mutt survive the sandstorm? Well, of course he did. Yay! This is a cartoon. <laughs> he made it thanks I'm so glad. to an what? awesome accessory of shipwrecks. Yes. Which Showcase very, that shit. Very showcase. He's like, yeah, I guess you could do this. He's like very casually like mm, hooks it onto the boat. And he's like, put that on. My boarding <laughs> hook is the shit. All the ladies <laughs> I, go mad for it. But I love the way he does it. He like hooks it in the rope onto the thing and then he looks at it and he looks at the pole or something and he's like eh there you go secure (laughs) (laughs) that's probably one of the funniest moments of this episode for me (laughs) obra I'm gonna get into that later (laughs) Jesus twice now you've uh, revved that that moment 
Is it now? Oh, it's all. Well, why don't you tell us what you're talking about, Paul? There is a scene where the Baroness is <laughs> on a, a snake-faced moray prototype. Kind of looks like a World War II patrol boat. It does. It does. Like one of those that like hit the beach and then they open in the front and the dudes just sort of pour out and get shot. Uh, that's not what I was thinking. But anyway, yeah. Oh, so it's got she... some. It's it's got that kind of vibe. And and she charges into battle because you've got Cutter and all of them on the whale going towards this island at like breakneck speeds, and they see Cobra appear and the Baroness, you know, shouts the Cobra battle cry, but. For some reason, old Morgan, whatever her name is, the voice actor of Baroness, <laughs> old Morgan, <laughs> decides Sorry. that decides that the co just cannot come out of her vo- her mouth. <laughs> so she's Cobra, <laughs> kills me every time. <laughs> it's such. A, it's actually such a a mispronunciation of the word, you know. <laughs> and it goes through like they actually like you know what. This poor woman has probably done like 20 takes and she's probably had a bad day or something, so we're gonna just hobra it. <laughs> yeah, I, I have no words. I mean, it's quite a questionable call, but it, it it's immortalized forever. Guys, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna record it, so yeah. I have a query. Does anyone have a problem with Torpedo's characterization? Oh, well, he's sort of laid back casualness almost. Yeah. Actually, you know, a lot. Very he's personable, back- very like jovial. Just like an all-round <laughs> nice guy. <laughs> Worst nickname ever. Okay. And complete misrepresentation of his file card. Mm. Yeah, I mean, to quote his file card, regarded by his teammates as a highly competent professional, but has the personality of a cold fish. Mm. It means he has no humor. It's like, how far did they get in that file? I don't think they they didn't read the file card. Clearly. That's the answer you're looking for. They're like, where where did he come from? Hawaii. Yeah, damn. He writes surfboards and he's a cool guy. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's he's way he's way laid back, man. How things down there, Pedo? <laughs> <laughs> and Cutter, I mean, it's great because they really showcase what the whale can do. He mm. deploys depth charges, but like yes. against surface boats. Yeah. Well, he kind of sets them, you know, the, the depth not too low. Not yeah, too well, I suppose. I mean, still, like I have two cannons on this boat. I have two missile boxes. I have four 50 cal machine guns, but I'm going to launch depth charges at these guys. Yeah, but that's the G.I. Joe way, dude. I mean, it's indirect assault. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you wouldn't be able to hit it with any of the other weapons, but like causing a depth charge to detonate underneath the boat. Ah, Mm. brilliant. Minimize the casualties, you know, they can wash their hands of the situation. Oh, yeah, some depth charges fell off the boat. It's the aquatic equivalent of shooting the ground out from under your opponent. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't actually shoot your opponent. No, 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 no. The guns are for sure, dude. I mean, (laughs) you know. And what also, especially in the the scene, in the sort of initial sort of assault between Cobra and and G.I. Joe at the Island of No Return, which they bring home, is that no one dies. 
I mean, you see the, the, the aircraft being blown up and then, like, a cobra, like, jumping out in his, his parachute. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they took the time to animate that. They're like, like, you know, they did not kill the cobras. They blew up the aircraft, and just before it blew up, they were able to jump out. But it happens without fail, Rob. And this is yeah, yeah I know. This is where it's, you it's being a sunbow newbie, noob, yeah, uh, it's it's quite quaint because without fail, any time, any time, any kind of aircraft <laughs> is hit and and, and is going to crash and burn, there will be parachutes emerging from it without Boom. fail. Rockets. They can't. They, they cannot. They cannot. Allow it to go down without a white chute emerging. That's yeah, right. well, I mean, I suppose that they, they're trying to like sort of minimize. Okay, everyone is shooting at each other. This is violence. It's cartoon violence, but they're trying to like minimize like, like no one no one dies. Okay, everyone mm-hmm. is safe. We take out the boats, we take out the aircraft, but everyone's kind of okay. It's very weird to me, but I mean, I I'm starting to understand the laws of this cartoon universe. Love Which, that Robot <laughs> Chicken episode. That's yeah, the good. Robot Chicken episode also reminds me a lot of the Community episode. Mm-hmm. It's in um, Season 5, Episode 11, where yeah. they just do a, a complete G.I. Joe-verse. And there, there's a cool joke near the, the end of the episode where, like, the main character is kind of going to go back to his real life. And then Cobra Commander, I think, yeah, Cobra Commander and Duke, they're like, what? What's sex? What do... <laughs> What do boobs look like? <laughs> because it's a cartoon universe. There's all in laws that that you can't break. And the episode starts also with um, the main character kind of killing <laughs> Destro. It's like everyone's like, <gasps> "What did you do?" He can't do that, can he? <laughs> it's brilliant. So if 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 you have not seen that episode of Community. G.I. Joburg people, lady and gentlemen, go and check it out. It's, it, it really parodies what G.I. Joe is perfectly. In fact, in, and if you haven't already, and if this blow-by-blow uh, blow review of the miniseries hasn't gotten you to watch the animated series yet, then do yourself a favor and just watch this miniseries and then watch the episode of Community because we're doing you a favor. You'll actually get more of the jokes. You'll enjoy it more. Definitely. Really, really. I mean, I I got the jokes because I could kind of understand from just from your guys' conversations about the cartoon, and also from you know kind of watching the the GI Joe film, but the film <laughs> it doesn't reach the same levels that the series does. These episodes so far have of like cartoonness. Speaking of parachutes, Cobra, Cobra. <laughs> Anybody notice uh, old Lady J and shipwreck? They get on quite swimmingly. In fact, mm. they, they even share a seat together in a two-seater Sky Striker. Yes, that, that brings yeah. us to, to the sequence where Flint and them have now returned to That's the right. G.I. Joe HQ in the episode. To the um, f- very weird announcement by the uh, automatic system of the base. Intruder alert. Intruder Un- alert. Unauthorized entry. It's like... did. Flint forget the passcodes or something? He's coming yeah. out of the supply door, says Gung Ho. <laughs> He's wearing blue! Yeah, there is <laughs> there is no reaction to them being in Cobra uniforms and with the yeah. stranger. But then Flint's like, hey, you saved our necks, Lady J. And the shipwreck's like, I'd rather save yours. And 
<laughs> the, and then Lady J, ah, this moment, she's like, thanks, but we've got a world to save first. And then she turns away from him, and on her own, she throws her arm in the air and says, Yo, Joe! <laughs> <laughs> the scene ends. It's like, <laughs> did Back no one me up, else... guys, come on. <laughs> come on, guys, Yo, what, no one? No one? It's she like... was like, He's hitting on me. Uh, this is awkward. Yo, Joe! <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, the direct correlation is Princess Leia, Han Solo, and Lando Calrissian. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. That's perfect. But then, yeah. So Leia's all about the cause. Flint's playing it cool because he knows he's got the girl. And Lando, a.k.a. Shipwreck, is just yeah. schmoozing like his life depends on it. Yeah, and, and also the introduction I'm of that. I'm the deal. Pray I don't go for it further. Sorry, <laughs> just had to. No, no, no. It's by all means, it's welcome. When Flint introduces Shipwreck to Lady J, I almost expect him to go. The way that they get on, it's kind of like Flint's gonna turn around and go, "Yeah, somebody to hold the camera." <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> because, but he introduces them as his as his buddies, even like Lady J, and these are my Giorgio buddies or something. Yeah. 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 Is a very I mean, he... kind of no questions asked policy in G.I. Joe. It's like, this guy helped you escape Cobra? Well, the paperwork can wait. We got a sky strike, <laughs> sky strike at the board. And yeah, that brings us up to Paul's point that, yeah, like they, they sit side by side. But the great thing about that little scene is that she had already been animated sitting to the side. So that <laughs> yeah. there is a space for Shipwreck to fall. Mind if I come along? Yeah, it's like the old saying, two's a crowd, but three's a regiment, or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right, Shipwreck, you get to hold the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely some menage a trois vibes going down in that Sky Striker. Very much so. Uh, Who then... flies it back to base? I'm dying to know. Yes, that's the interesting thing. Because <laughs> now they fly out to the jungle where the, the Palace of Doom, Temple of... Yeah, Palace... It's a... What? Yeah. Hold on. No, it's it's not even Wait. not even trying. It's called the Palace of Doom. Mm-hmm. That does not look like a palace. That's a temple. I just realized that right now. Wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to my point. Yes, they fly there and then they all jump out and it's like go home sky strikers. Go home. Fetch. <laughs> go home. You know where to go. Like little homing pigeons. They all jump out. Maybe this is something that happens all the time in the cartoons. It kind of sounds like it does. But for me, there was, there was quite a moment. Actually, now that you mention it, there's very few instances. And I think this – and I'm busy watching the series again. So I'll let you guys know in a future episode if I spot it. But I haven't seen them pull that stunt off again in the animated series in later episodes. It's kind of mm. like it's a one-shot deal. I think somewhere somebody was like, uh, no, you can't do that. Actually, I think actually, no actually, there was an episode called Cobra's Creatures where they go into detail about a new technology they're using to remote control operate the Sky Strikers. Ah, so because then they send the much junkyard used- off. Uh, <laughs> They use a, a new doggy ejection system, so they shoot <laughs> mutton junkyard off and. Flint then says, I've I've got control of your Sky Striker sort of locked in to my Sky Striker's system. Oh, so that's I'll, right. you know, that's I'll, I'll take your jet home for you. So yeah. Mutton Junkyard get ejected, 
and then another Sky Striker, Airborne, and I think Scarlet get ejected. Anyway, so the ejected guys get abducted by Cobra, and that kicks off that plot. But Flint is able to safely take the Sky Strikers back to base. Yes, so I they make I'll, a song and I'll dance about with... it in that episode. I suppose yeah. it can be assumed that the technology exists back in the Revenge of Cobra. But they don't oh, make definitely. a big deal of it no. at all. Why bother? they got well, bigger fish to fry, like a giant yeah. cobra robot. Oh, you're getting ahead of yourself. I know, I know. Well, I mean, at least they managed to uh, impress the Hasbro execs because the Hasbro execs were like, you know, you've shown the Sky Striker, you've shown that you can put two characters in the thing, but you haven't shown off its parachute feature. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Perfect. This, that another the thing about the Sky Strikers, I find sometimes that the animators can sometimes blur the lines between the F-14 design and other twin-engined jet aircraft. Sometimes Sky Strikers look a hell of a lot more like F-15 Eagles. Mm. This is something I see in the cartoon. It's also something I see in Rod Wiggum's artwork. Now, Rod Wiggum is the guy who did Shakedown. Oh, right. Uh, that issue of the the comic book where you've got Ace facing off against Wild Weasel. Yeah, and the Rattler. Exactly. So this episode, episode three, The Palace of Doom, I find they get the F-14 aesthetic dead on. Like it doesn't look like anything but a Sky Striker. It looks accurate. So credits to the, the animators in this episode. They had their specs, their... The vehicle design, quite accurate. Well, that is cool. Uh, I must say, it, it didn't stand out to me as being off at all in the miniseries. But I, uh, and I think if it did, I would have totally made a note about it. So, yeah, actually. Look very back good in point. episode one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. If you, if you take a look at the, the way the Sky Strikers are presented in that episode, uh, sometimes, and, and it's most notable. With the engines, sometimes they're a little bit too closely spaced. All oh, right. Mm. An F-14 has quite a wide flat section between yeah, the engines. That's a fat flying turkey. It's awesome. <laughs> we cut to Roadblock's adventure, where he yes, goes from that? cougars <laughs> to jailbait. <laughs> <laughs> Very quickly, yeah. He he gets attacked, or almost attacked by those those creatures. <laughs> they, and then he's like oh let me just go find a giant mice for you mouse <laughs> <laughs> and then he jumps off and he's like fuck you mountain lion <laughs> you can't fly <laughs> you can climb but you can't fly and, and then he, he meets he meets uh, Honda Lou West Honda foxy Lou. blonde chick uh, who owns a trucking business who um yep. tosses him an apple any innuendo there, gents? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I, I, yeah, I, I picked up a little there. I must be honest. She can't be that attractive if initially when Robo comes into the truck, he's like, "Oh, they got this man tied up here." <laughs> well, yeah, that, that was a bit of a questionable call from Mr. Roadblock. It was quite evident that uh, she had blonde hair. Yeah, underneath yeah. the hat. That Long, was kind sort of, of Farrah Fawcett tresses. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think maybe he needs to get his eyes checked. But he had no trouble accepting her juicy apple. Yeah, yeah. he put I mean, right into that. 
we've got like original sin references there. It's it's kind of implied, I think. Mm-hmm. What would have made it more Im- more Im- implicable? <laughs> implied. Is if it was a, if it if it was a peach. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I could eat a peach for hours. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Pondaloo is crazy and kind of in a weird way reminds me of uh i think her name is candy from is it candy from the candy apple (laughs) (laughs) another great sort of double entendre not even i mean it's just from the from the early comics wasn't it with um yeah ripcord's girlfriend yes and she's in the yeah in the balloon bear the the outfit (laughs) i mean honda lou west Okay, we've got a car, a toilet, and a point on the <laughs> compass. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably exactly how they got her name. They probably had the uh, non-important character dartboard <laughs> up yeah. on the wall, and they were like, we need to figure out a name, four syllables, go. <laughs> you know, or three that uh, could not four be syllables a real or less. Person. So it's it probably like Honda Lou West ass, and they're like, mm, ass is not gonna oh. float so well, so let's just keep it with Honda Lou West or whatever, you know? Oh, Which five. is four syllables? Yeah, that's right. Sorry, I just like. No, you got it right first time around. Ah, go, go with me. I'm not so super strong with the mental maths, even though it's simple <laughs> stuff. By the end of the episode, Roadblock, I mean, he he has yet to link up again with the GI Joes. Mm. Like, okay, he's now on a Cobra uh, abducted truck. On a you know Cobra Control truck, it's nice that they have multiple storylines going on. Yes. And one can only yeah. hope they pay it off appropriately. Yeah. It's I just going to so. be a, a, a case of like, okay, Roadblock jumps through all these hoops and then ultimately just winds up at GI Joe headquarters. It'd be really nice if Roadblock somehow is a key factor in winning the war. Like he's just in the right place at the right time. And yeah, his, I hope so. You know, he does something, way. something really cool. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Okay, getting back to the Palace of Doom. So they've just parachuted down into the jungle, and then Rakondo says, "Stay close to me, men, and remember, from here on, silence." And then they wander through the jungle for like, I don't know how long. And then they get to the Palace of Doom, and Major Blood, who was tasked by Cobra Commander with actually reacquiring the piece of the, with the Dominator. He's arrived, and he's like, ah, it's inside that structure. And the Joseph, like, surrounded Major Blood, unknown to him. And then Rakonda's like, okay, we're in position. Cool. Yo, Joe, start shooting. <laughs> Stay close to me, men. And remember, from here on, silence. Ready, Flint. Ready, Rakondo. Yo, Joe! <laughs> so much for the you element had, of surprise. You had, yes, you had the element of surprise. You probably could have actually disabled them quite effectively. Is it that it's unfair that they had the jump on them? Yeah. <laughs> Ambushes are so not cool. <laughs> Yes, guerrilla tactics. No, these are G.I. Joes. They're upstanding military people. No, they're the military. They would use whatever advantage they, they can to ensure, you know, the minimum of casualties, I would think. 
Well, oh, that's, that would be true if they were standard soldiers. But being G.I. Joe's, first prize would have been get in and out of the Palace of Doom, get the component without Cobra mm. even knowing you were there. That's mm-hmm. first prize. Without yeah. having to fire a single shot. But, uh, of course, our unquenchable thirst for red and blue lasers <laughs> propel us <laughs> into <laughs> this absurd uh, battle. It is definitely absurd, but it serves, of course, a huge advertisement for the toy's purpose. Mm-hmm. Because not only do you get to see snakes, which are erroneously called robots in this mm-hmm. scene, yep. you get to see those, but then you also get to see pack rats. Oh, yeah. Which is, <laughs> yeah, like, hey, send out the pack rats, take out the robots. Um, so you get to see a lot of toys. Which, I mean, I mean, that's what, kind of the big thing I liked about the start of the whole thing at the Palace of Doom. Yeah. Is you see a lot of different elements, you know, like lots of different toys. They have to call the snakes robots because otherwise they wouldn't be able to blow them up. Mm. If there were cobra operators inside the snake armors, <laughs> you couldn't have the pack rats <laughs> shoot the shit out of them. They'd explode and you'd see a guy jump out and parachute. <laughs> <laughs> The guy jump out and like hold up his hands. I surrender. Yeah. Yeah, no, it just wouldn't work. Incidentally, I mean, in the Mass Device miniseries, they also refer to them as robots. So it's not the first time we've had snakes, but okay. it's consistently misused as, as not being armored suits, but just robots. So that there's an open sanction on blowing the shit out of them. Yay. Okay, I suppose it's like in in, in other cartoons, you know, like, uh, I suppose like Samurai Jack, where like everything he fights is a robot. So that's why yeah. he can, he can, he can chop things with, with, with abandon. You know, he's like, he's chopping, it's like he's chopping wood. It's like, damn, damn, damn. Well, G.I. Joe is very, very happy when the battle android troopers arrive on the scene, because mm. once again... Really? The uh, animators could have the G.I. Joe team shoot and hack and destroy bats with reckless abandon. Abandon, yeah, they can torch the yeah. shit out of those things. Yeah. Well, that's great, at least. I mean, it gave them more options. You know, instead of like, oh, no one can ever ever hit anyone else, at least this gives the action variety. Consequence. <laughs> yeah, consequence. Oh, yeah. It makes variety. it more... Yeah, it makes it more visceral in a lot of ways as well. Yeah. Because uh, that... Yeah, because that is something that this show is criticized very heavily for, uh, so much so that it's made fun of in the community episode and by the pop culture movement at large. But, and it's yeah. why we like Resolute so damn much. It's, yeah, mm. it's why it's such a breath of fresh air. And I really think that one day this humble little podcast might do a review on that one too. Resolute. Mm. Definitely. The anniversary. The 10-year of anniversary. Mm. <laughs> And yeah. we're off, but it's coming up. When did Resolute <clears throat> air? 2008? Um, came out, yeah, 2009. April to May. Well, stick around. Anyway, getting back to this particular animated show. Yes. The pack rats make r 2 d noises. <laughs> and sort of fondle oh. each other. <laughs> they kind of blow shit up and they go up to each other like, like good job stroke my barrel <laughs> I love that shit my missile racks are empty 
<laughs> oh. I really like that element. I think it's cool, personally. Yep. Give them characters. Cat rats are great. They're fun. And, I mean, the use of the R2 sound effects, I mean, that's par for the course. I mean, the, the series, or so far these episodes, do appropriate those sound effects. I mean, even in the film, you know, Serpentor's like sort of flying chariot thing. TIE Fighter. Sky Strikers also make a TIE Fighter sound in the first episode as well. Don't know if you guys recall. It's I, just... I didn't... Shameless. Did I? It's absolutely shameless. <laughs> the fact that not only do they, do they rob Star Wars sound effects, but the exact sequence in which those sound effects appear... They just lifted the soundtrack. Yeah. You know, you could hear Darth Vader breathing in the background at one point. But we're oh, really yes, digressing. In the film, yeah. yeah, but yeah. I mean, this isn't G.I. Joe the movie. These are really amazing sound effects that Ben Burt came up with. And I mean, you can't blame them for appropriating them. Mm, but lock, it's stock, so and barrel. Than creating your own ones. But to take them lock, stock, and barrel from the way they stood, like surely Ben Burt had a database of sound effects. If they asked him nicely, he they, might have let they could go. Have paid the, yeah, let, let it go or paid in the rights for it, maybe. But they just, they're like, eh, let's just steal them. Yeah. <laughs> so while the Joes are fighting at the Palace of Doom back at the Island of No Return. Hang on, there's something that I picked up in the Palace of Doom, and I have no idea what this is in reference to. But Gung Ho says, I think I saw this place on the Late Late Show. It might be an homage, firstly, to the Tomb of the Mummy, that uh, mm. old film. Uh, it could also be an obvious reference, uh, in a lot of ways, to Indiana Jones. Uh, there is another film, and I'm trying to... Uh, the name escapes me right now, but late, mm. late shows were usually um, sci-fi or horror fare or B-movies, or, or sort of reruns of popular B-movies. Could be so, horror stuff, yeah. But I think that's definitely, I mean, the most obvious, and maybe not intended, but the most obvious reference there, I think, is uh, Indiana Jones. I mean, the Palace of Doom. Yeah. <laughs> but but we're getting ahead of ourselves. It hasn't happened yet in the episode. Mm. Sorry. Which is why I wanted to get back to the to the island, where suddenly Joe and Cobra aren't really fighting each other as much as nature. <laughs> where they're trying to, like, get out of a whirlpool. Oh, yes. Oh, that's... Super Eddie, yeah. Because why why there's a whirlpool there is because Firefly blew up a giant hole in this sort of atoll or whatever that's surrounding the island so that the Cobra boats could drive in and then suddenly two tornadoes form and they kind of get sucked into the water. But what I find really weird is that why do they feel the need to drive their boats in there anyway? They have a whole bunch of aircraft. Uh-huh. They could fly into the island. Uh-huh. Hmm. Are there any suitable landing terrains? I suppose they could rappel down. Yeah, are there any number of uh, actual well, lots of ways, ways of going of, about it. Mm, they just but then you wouldn't have this this kind of crazy scene where like, oh, we all been sucked into the you know into the bottom of the ocean, kind of like in um, Pirates of the Caribbean three. Mm. Sort of this huge set piece at the end, but of course. In G.I. Joe, someone has to blow up the whirlpool, and that's Torpedo. In his? In his shark. That's right. Nice yeah. new toy to get excited about. The shark. And no deep six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Let's just go with the established G.I. Joe diver dude, not use the actual driver. You can only move his arms, you know, and that's where the problem comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're trying to show, you know, you can put any Joe in the shark. You don't need to put just Deep Six. If you can put him in the Lightyear. (laughs) I love your movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, the PSAs. The GI Joes have a, a landing craft that they employ on the yeah. island of No Return. They do. That's the one confusing that... to me because why don't they just use whales? Mm. Oh, that's true. I mean, they do have a whale. I mean, that is a whale that they land on there, isn't it? No, it's something else. It's something smaller. In no, fact, it looks like box. a like a really simplified whale and smaller, but not a hovercraft. It's weird. But that is strange. But but then like like pretty soon, you know, like Spirit, he comes up to Cutter and says, "I will go and get this thing." But that's impossible, in my mind, impossible. And the possible, well, you know, he goes in a little speech. <laughs> He's like, "Those don't exist. Everything is possible." Or Rock. bend the Sorry. spoon. Yeah, there's no and then they launch, they launch the little like escape, like like thing. Which I absolutely adore. They found <laughs> a plausible use for the sled. It's like mm-hmm. we've got to keep Cobra at bay, so let's launch the little one-man escape sled, so that Spirit can get on with it. Yes. And I thought that was great. I've got that no problems cool. with that. Yeah, that is a very cool sequence, actually. And it's a, it is a whale. I mean, it, it looks exactly like a whale. Mm. Yes, no, that is a whale. This that is, is the thing that whale. the cutter has been driving throughout this entire episode. Is a whale, sure. But yeah. when, shit, I think it's Clutch, he arrives on the island. And when Spirits arrives on the island, they're arriving on something else. Oh, it's, it's like a green, they arrive on the island, yes, they have something else that they mm. arrive in. But like Cutter yeah. and them, they have beached themselves. They have yes. beached the whale. <laughs> <laughs> on the um, sort of the coral that will cut you to ribbons yes. say. it's tough Very as steel dangerous. Not, for, not for Joe equipment <laughs> and this is an example of the type of action which they managed to avoid in the first episode where they, they staged the, the action quite nicely and there's a lot of variation. Sadly, here, it's a stalemate situation, which <laughs> we find ourselves in so often in the G.I. Joe cartoon, where you've got Cobra on one side, <laughs> G.I. Joe on the other side, and they're just exchanging, like, masses of volleys of laser fire. And it's so fire. obvious. You just see all of those lasers, <laughs> and it's like the whale is like, eh, lasers, I don't care. Yeah, it's like they're like literally they both kind of beached and they're like won't even chip the paint. I find that very strange. Like like they're shooting. I mean, is but I mean you've seen things get damaged by the lasers before, but I mean it seems almost like they you know load their rifles with like laser ammunition that only hurts flesh or something, and you never get to see what happens if they do hit someone with it. Like it, it doesn't damage anything except people, but it because it's cartoon, it doesn't happen. So it's like, whoa, what what would happen if they hit someone? Would you vaporize? That just came to me right now. No parachute gonna save you from that fate. <laughs> it's like you never even existed. Yeah, they they could have shown that. <laughs> I think uh, Gung Ho's reference to the Late Late Show might be a reference to a uh, show that 
was the world's longest running chat show by the same broadcaster. First airing July 6th, 1962. But, and they uh, were hosted by? Gosh. Uh, it was presented by Gary Byrne from 1962 to 64, Frank Hall from 1964, uh, Pat Kenny uh, from 1999 to 2009. So it's quite okay. an old reference. Quite right? an old show, but that's, I don't know. I thought maybe it was like another show that I would recognize the, the host from. Nat but, King um, Cole uh, sang the end theme. Hmm, that's cool. And it originated in Ireland, actually. Oh, wow. Hmm. Very interesting. Americans always stealing these ideas. I mean, Survivor, that was originally Australian, wasn't it? I'll but take your word for it. Well, I mean, all the crew are Aussies. Yeah, I, I mean, I, so Gung Ho makes that, that exceptionally strange reference, which I don't know, the kids of the 80s were expected to get. <laughs> and then G.I. <laughs> Joe, luckily this is, to me, not as implausible, at least for myself, as like Globulus and all those weird snake dudes were in the movie. But then suddenly this gigantic stone guy with four arms stands up, protecting nothing. There's no gold in there. There's nothing amazing in there. Yeah, incidentally, the Joes didn't disturb any of the palace's artifacts. They were just after something that crashed through the roof. Yeah, they yeah. randomly walk over the panel that activates this gigantic stone giant. Hmm. <laughs> and he starts also, chasing them. Just before that whole thing, there's this exchange where... Flint and Lady J and a few other guys are like behind a wall and they pelting Cobra with some red laser. Yes, this is before they go in, yeah. And, and then Gung Ho appears and they were like, what are you doing here? Yes, <laughs> no, well, like, no, Lady J knew about him. And then like, Lady is like, okay, we're going in there and with Gung Ho. And then <laughs> Gung Ho touches Flint's shoulder and then Flint turns around with this really big happy grin on his face. Ah, oh, weren't you supposed to stay at the base? <laughs> and miss out on this firefight? No ways. Their robots are moving into the city ahead of us. I think a small team could slip through this firefight and beat them to the weather control fragment. How small a team do you have in mind? Yours truly, shipwreck and gung-ho. Gung-ho? You were supposed to stay back at headquarters. What? <laughs> Miss a fight? Okay, go for it. <laughs> yeah, That's random. Another really Extremely cool random. Moment. It's, it's like really no cool one moment. no one in the audience was keeping score of which Joe went where. <laughs> but Flint is like, hey, aren't you supposed to be at the base? <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit, nope. that's... This army's all about, you know, self-participation and, you know. Yeah, hey, this come with, it's like, oh, which skystriker did you go in? Yeah. <laughs> well, Who did you since, they, since they expanded the seating to three, <laughs> yeah. I was spoiled for choice. <laughs> <laughs> there were a whole bunch of men I could bunk up with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the little children, the little colors. <laughs> <laughs> Gung Ho's presence, I must say, kind of like steps on Rikondo's toes a bit, mm. because Gung Ho is somewhat of a, a, a jungle-looking character with a yeah. moustache, and Rikondo's speciality is jungle warfare. He's got a moustache, and Rikondo seemed to be calling the shots. 
until yeah. Flint shows up. Mm-hmm. And that's true. I mean, he's like, okay, guys, well, yeah, that's and true. And then once he, reco- uh, once, his squad. Okay. Yeah, well, once once Gung Ho is on the scene, like Rikondo <laughs> is completely pushed out of the picture. And he's mm-hmm. like, uh, bring the pack rats out. <laughs> oh, I miss out on the cool action. <laughs> <laughs> Let the robots do it. Yes, yeah. the robots indeed. <laughs> They're fighting the gigantic rock monster inside, and then Major and then Cobra like, ups the ante. Major Blaze like, we need that thing inside. Destroy it and retrieve Cobra. And he sends in this gigantic cobra-headed Snake robot. Snake-based robot. Yes. What are your thoughts on that, guys? For me, that came out of, like, left field. I was like, okay. I've never seen this toy. This is obviously yet another invention of the cartoon. Mm. And the only reason you're there is because of this gigantic stone monster so that we can have a gigantic fight. Yeah. <laughs> Paul? What I was going to say was, I've said this a lot in the show. I've said, hey, this is a really cool thing. I wish they made a toy. Why didn't they make a toy of this? That freaking robot, I know why they didn't make a toy of that. Because that thing's (laughs) ugly. (laughs) It's got a rather uninspired design. And I know this is going to go contrary to things that I've said in the past. Because I am a fan of the snake-faced transport plane. Yes. But Hasbro's toy designs never rubbed the snake motif in too much. Rubbed the snake. No. But the <laughs> cartoon just goes ballistic. It's like, we've got everything a bad a guy snake. called Cobra. So everything's gonna be Snake-y. Cobras. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and Cobra that's also... on the top of their base. <laughs> Cobra on their aircraft. Cobra on their robots. It's a fair assumption to make, because it's so obvious, but in the first few... I'd say the first 20 or so episodes of the cartoon series, Cobra yeah. is very esoteric. They do use a lot of overly snake-faced designs, and they do use things like you know gas to subdue buildings, and <laughs> that gas is delivered via a snake in a weaved basket and things like that. They are fairly esoteric with that in the beginning. I don't call that esoteric. I call that a sense of humor. No, well... Hey, <laughs> we're Cobra. Let's... Free Cobra Commander with a snake in a basket. That's a freaking awesome idea. <laughs> you know, you're like yep. totally part of the Cobra fraternity. What I'm trying to say is, is that they sort of borderline this like esoteric thing with science, and then later on they start becoming very science heavy. Mm. Even if what a lot of what, you, what they do isn't very scientific, mind-controlled animals and, and the like, you generally find at the beginning here there's a lot of this sort of esoteric backbone for Cobra. Mm. And yeah, and you'll you'll find like snake faced jets and things later. Uh, especially as Hasbro starts filling those blanks, if you if you know what I mean. Like the boat that uh, old Baroness is on in the beginning is that snake faced PT boat or whatever the hell. But that would later on be replaced by the Moray, which is a far superior design visually and just as a toy, I think it's just way cooler. Yeah, man. So, when left to their own devices, I'm afraid the animators or the designers of the animated show kind of ran with the ball a little too hard there on the snake <laughs> angle. Like, Cobra's hardware, as established by the toys, didn't do that. Mm. It wasn't, strictly speaking, dogmatic military equipment. They left that for the G.I. Joes. But, like, a Cobra spin on a helicopter would be the Mamba. Or a Cobra yeah. spin on a tank would be the hiss. You could call them tanks, 
but there was something else. Yeah. But it's not like they were embellished with like snake stuff. Mm. We only Could got that later be... with the bloody Hiss 4. Or was <laughs> it the Hiss 3? Whatever. Oh dear. I Could also love... New sculpt era. I, yeah. I also love that you got uh, Major Blood rocking up on a Hiss. Then they get surrounded by Cobra. So what is the first thing he does is he thinks, you know what? These twin double Diablo cannons ain't worth shit. I'm jumping out of this thing and I'm going to fight. And lo and behold, the poor Cobra, his tank driver, goes up in flames. I think he's probably one of the few real casualties in the miniseries. I think probably what is also maybe happening in the show, why they didn't do a lot of the toy designs, maybe it's because there really weren't any Cobra vehicles out, really. Mm. I mean, by that point, I mean, the there were a couple of things, but not a lot. Gap filling, sure. Yeah, yeah there was kind of gap filling, like, we, we need this thing. We, we need the thing that does this. What have they told us that they've got coming up? There's nothing like that. Okay, cool. Let, let's... Let's just make our own thing. And And slap a giant snake face on it. That's right. I'm grateful that they had some restraint with uh, some of the more mundane military equipment. Like there's a a transport helicopter in episode one that Cobra Commander arrives on. That's a pretty standard looking chopper. They use things that look like Chinooks also in episode one to drop off troops and his tanks. And my favorite, which is... Something that, I mean, obviously, they couldn't use the Rattler for everything or that yeah. they, later, they later did. But they seem to have a Cobra jet fighter, which you can sometimes catch glimpses of. And it looks a lot like a Mirage, a Mirage F1, which is a, a French ah. jet. Yeah, Dassault. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's a Delta Wing jet from the 1960s. And it's a perfectly possible look for a Cobra jet. Well, it's featured cool. quite prominently in the beginning of uh, the mass device. Mm. Okay. Well, I mean, I think they're like, okay, we need a set piece vehicle. Put a Cobra on it. We need something in the background that we need lots of that's easy to animate. Don't put a Cobra on it. <laughs> <laughs> and they stuck to that, which is great. And speaking of set piece vehicles or equipment, so the snake robot, which comes out of nowhere... Thoughts on that? I just don't like it. I, yeah, I, just... I still don't like it. Yeah. What bugs me about it is it's like, let's put G.I. Joe in peril by giving them this giant stone guardian, sort of Aztec statue to fight. And then let's take them out of peril by introducing a cobra weapon, which mm. is the same stature, which also breathes fire. It's like, huh? Joe didn't really have to work very hard to get themselves out of that at all. They weren't in the fight anymore. Mm. Yeah, and then all that cool problem solving is lost. And it became redundant. It was like, oh, okay, well, that solves that. Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, moving on. So back on the island, Spirit now has got this piece back. But he's confronted by his nemesis. I don't know, maybe later in the series it's different, but they, they seem to be setting up Storm Shadow as Spirit's nemesis. Mm-hmm. He's like, Affirmative. Oh, so. I, someone's coming. <laughs> yeah, someone is coming. It's me! <laughs> White Ninja! <laughs> and then, probably my favorite, well, I mean, I have a couple of favorite moments in this episode, but my favorite moment 
Storm Shadow throws the throwing star, and then Freedom flies through the air and catches it in his beak. Eat the ninja star. He just, he just grabs it, and he's like, okay, I didn't get hurt or nothing. That was Some, great. Yeah, Something man. completely obscure. I so would have loved seeing, like, I mean, I imagine guys like Robot Chicken <laughs> would have totally had that end with the ninja star splitting <laughs> the eagle splitting on eagle's yeah. head open. <laughs> <laughs> Freedom's head just woof, right off and like, oh, Freedom, you're finally free. <laughs> 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 Be as a dumb. <laughs> uh, get this. The great there, spirit in the sky. There's a small mistake. Uh, mistake. Yeah. <laughs> mistake <laughs> is sideways. <laughs> it's a mistake. <laughs> there's a bit of a a small mess up in the episode when when Cobra are landing on the island as well, and you see mm-hmm. Firefly run off. And you see uh, Storm Shadow quite close behind him. Uh, Storm Shadow is carrying a gun. No, oh, guys... no way. Yes, I very did not brief. notice that. Yeah. An, any man can use a weapon, but a ninja <laughs> is a weapon. Yeah. <laughs> that scene that gates that statement so badly. But once again, that will only come much later. But I just had to point that out because it's. I, I think it's something <laughs> a lot of people miss. I think they. Oh, that's they... great. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure Hasbro caught it because they were like, "Whoa, hold on!" <laughs> <laughs> no guns, no guns no, for him. He's no got swords and a bow, which you will never use. At least the mm. swords, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Uh, he will never use them, and if he does draw them, he'll never use them offensively. I guess it's strict laws on what you can show in animation. Yeah, this is exactly why. Storm Shadow and Snake Eyes were fated to never duel hmm. in the animated show. I suppose that's why you could have a duel between Duke and Snake Eyes, because it's their two they're friends. There's no way they actually are going to kill each other. Yeah. I mean they, he has a sword and he's attacking, you know, Snake Eyes. Oh, but, but he never sort of does any kind of offensive moves. Yeah, All no, that's true. Parry that's why, the whole time. That's why I'm parry, saying, parry, parry. That's why he could do that, because I mean, there is no danger of them hurting each other. Oh, yes. Oh Episode God. two, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just I just rewound in the episode and I saw that moment where Storm Shadow gets out of the, <laughs> the landing craft and he has a gun in his hand. Uh, <laughs> naughty. There it is. Well, in the, the issue of the comic book, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's issue number 24, if I'm not mistaken, The Commander Escapes... Uh, Storm Shadow assembles a sniper rifle mm. and uses that. And uh, then again, in issue yeah. 119, Storm Shadow uses Snake Eyes' Uzi. So, you know, he, necessity sometimes makes makes him uh, pick up firearms. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not that he can't use them. I mean, he was a soldier. Yeah, but still, he he's a ninja. A ninja will use ninja. any weapon. That's, sure. That's the whole thing. Yeah. But, you know, you're right, it is a blooper, because where then is that gun? Yeah. He conveniently lost it, so he'd have to lay the pain with spirits with fists. Yeah, for a nice, cool little battle. And then that brings us to the climax of the episode, when Tripwire comes along. Hey, (laughs) Tripwire, I'm I'm using my mind-detecting equipment. An earthquake is coming. 
Oh no! And then all hell breaks loose. They get that piece of the, the Weather Dominator and they're running and then the ground opens up and the two men manage to jump probably 18 feet. <laughs> Gung-ho with this gigantic heavy equipment in his hand and Lady J gets left behind. She's like, mm-hmm. oh no. She Come seems on, to Lady hesitate. Like, she, I mean, she chickens out. She totally yeah. loses her nerve. She's yeah. like, oh, I can't do it. But that then gives her a chance to whip out one of her, um, her spears. spears. And I, I, th- I think I've said this in, in sort of like a, a message conversation, or I might have mentioned it. She feels like the Hawkeye from Marvel Comics of the G.I. Joe universe. She can pull yeah. anything out of that backpack. Yeah. Yep. She's got Especially the a Chitara-style extendable rod. Cha-ching. Yeah. And then, and then she makes it to the middle. They think they've escaped. And then the oh, she makes it to the edge, but she she would fall if Gung Ho doesn't reach for her and catch her. Yes, thereby leaving the component on the edge. Mm. And of course, Shipwreck Dickhead (laughs) decides to also lend a hand. I mean, Gung Ho had it; he had it under control. He was about to give Lady J some gumbo, but Shipwreck had to get involved, and so. The component falls into the crevasse. And that brings us to another awesome moment. The sort of like, what the fuck moment. Suddenly Major Blood fires <laughs> through the crevice and he's like, Cobra! He was there at the right moment. Yep. Mm-hmm. I find that insane. Sorry, that's my logic, adult logic brain still on. It falls off, he grabs it. Yeah, got it. Uh just to back up a little bit, yeah. I find just like Doc, Tripwire is used as a seismologist. Well, <laughs> as a kind of a, as you know, kind of pointer out of impending danger. And it, it, it happens more than once. It happens in this miniseries. He's yeah. like, oh, there's a major earthquake coming. And then it also happens in the mass device where he somehow uses his mind detector to read that there are strange uh, robotic signatures in the cave. I mean, of course, he's reading the fact that there are snakes mm. about to pounce on the G.I. Joes. So he's kind of like that mind detector is it's like an everything detector. It's a scanner. It's a, you know, it's, it's a MacGuffin. I mean, Big uh, MacGuffin. If if you take Tripwire now, Donald's MacGuffin. <laughs> if you take old Tripwire now, he's uh, what he does is he actually has a small shop somewhere in America, and people come and speak to him. And what he does is he uses his mind detector on them, and then he can define their futures. He can actually tell them <laughs> if they're going to find fortune. <laughs> They'll meet the love of their life because that's what he does now. <laughs> I accept MasterCard, Visa, and American Express. Oh, and I know you have them, because my mind detector tells me. <laughs> Love that dude, because he is such a MacGuffin. He's like oh, such yeah, a it's just non-entity. Like, once again, misuse of a character. It's like, mm. he's not defusing bombs or laying down oh. bombs. He's the brains. He's you just get, like, delivering information. He's like, oh, there's a new danger. Yeah. He's Captain Obvious. I mean, something's coming, <laughs> and it'll shock you who the team's resident bomb expert becomes, who later will actually become 
the G.I. Joe's resident bomb expert. It will send chills down your spine, Rob. And I don't even want to spoil it because you will find out. And when you do, <laughs> you will message it. me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very curious. And I, I definitely want to find that out for myself. Uh, so, so, highs and lows of episode three. Well, wait, 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 wait. Oh. Not done yet. Okay. Not done yet. So, Major Bar gets away with the thing. And then they shoot across this little ladder. And you think, okay, they're going to get out of here. But we're coming to the cliffhanger for this episode. Which is caused by the two robots basically destroying each other. At no least banking. the Cobra robot kind of like chopping through the middle of the rock robot. And it destroys the ground where they're standing. And Shipwreck and Gung Ho fall down the crevice. What I found cool about that, that moment is that the way that the Cobra robot destroys the, the rock robot is kind of a move that he attempted to use a little bit earlier in the episode. There's a moment where he first engages the rock robot and he kind of tries to do that sort of forward chop with his hand. And, <laughs> and what he, happens? I mean, and, 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 well, I mean, the, the robot sort of, I mean, the rock thing sort of blocks it. Okay. He's not able to do it. But then uh, what I like is, is there's almost like a continuity in the abilities of this thing. You know, mm. like it tried it once and now gets it right. And it destroys the rock thing and puts Joe's in peril. <laughs> what did you think of Flint's uh, handy-dandy, extendable spring ladder thing for crossing <laughs> gaps of exactly that size? <laughs> Exceptionally convenient. I call um, shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> Double well, shenanigans. I suppose they didn't have that bridge, you know, that uh, bridge vehicle, you know, the, the bridge lane vehicle. What's it no, called? Toll booth is coming later. Yeah. Yeah. So they had to, they're just like, eh, how are we going to try and get them out of this? Do that. <laughs> it didn't bother me that much. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm starting to accept this sort of stuff now. <laughs> Things happen with no reason and with no preparation at all, but they still happen anyway. Oh, yeah. He had that yeah, packed so. in his Sky Striker. Along Probably with did. His two passengers. Yeah. <laughs> Guys. If you yes. could back up in your minds, just to um, when Cobra shows up at the Island of No Return, Torpedo mm. says, here's Cobra. Here's Cobra. Is that a Shining <laughs> reference? Like well, a, here's Johnny. But even that reference itself was a reference to something else. Oh. Uh, yeah. That was a reference to... Um, well, Johnny is Johnny Carson, if I'm not mistaken. The original, yes. Yeah. Yeah. In the Tonight Show, there's the catchphrase used by Ed McMahon in the Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson. I, mean, I assume that was probably the the announcer, like you'd say, and here's Johnny. Because well, the reason I raise it, mm-hmm. and it's it might be too many degrees of separation to actually be a relevant reference, but Torpedo, the way they've chosen to characterize him, is almost what they went for when they characterized Quick Kick in mm. the next miniseries. Correct. Okay. And Quick Kick, being the Hollywood stuntman that he is, he's a, a, a film buff, and he's constantly quoting John Wayne or May Whoever, West. actually, yeah. So it mm. seems to me like Torpedo is a proto-Quick Kick. Like, they just kind of... When Torpedo phased out of the series, Quick Kick absorbed some of his character traits. So okay. it would kind of fit with the fact that they're both gregarious, friendly, 
like pop culture referency kind of fun guys. Meanwhile, yeah. the one's supposed to be antisocial, antisocial, yeah. and the other's supposed Old to be bitch. you know kung fu fucking master of death. The one's meant to be <laughs> Bruce Lee, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Like, no, yeah, it's no, a cartoon, no. dudes. Exactly, and it's a yeah. cool cartoon. Definitely. And Rob's discovering so, this. <laughs> well, what what were our highs and lows this episode, Stephen? <laughs> I did like seeing a little bit of karate action. Uh, Storm Shadow debuts. I mean, we've seen smatterings of him being a lackey, turning the lever to raise the temple, but here we actually saw him doing some hand to hand. Very briefly, but I enjoy that. I also enjoy the use of the whale's escape sled. Mm. I love showcasing the toys accurately. Sunbow obviously inserted a lot of their own tech because they needed they needed specific things. But I feel indifferent when I see a giant cobra robot fighting a giant Aztec ruin robot. But I feel a real stir of, of fanboy geekery when I see snakes getting blown up by pack rats, for instance. So for me, it always comes back to the toys. You can't lose if you're showcasing the toys. And, so and yes, I think those are two cool moments that I, I, I'd like to pick out. I feel the same way that Steve does about how the whale is represented in the show. I think it's really cool to see all of the whales play features with the exception being the rockets and the guns. That escape sled is awesome. What about uh, the motorbike? Oh, <laughs> yes, yeah, the motorbike. I totally forgot about that. That's because I don't have one, ladies and gentlemen of the audience. <laughs> shame. Uh, shame, yeah. Steve the only member of G.I. Joeberg that doesn't have a whale. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Oh, well. Um, I'll live uh, until okay. I get one. Uh, then but, you'll yeah. die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where were you going with that? <laughs> <laughs> Just... You know, that wasn't. I. This is very GI Joe of me. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll figure it out. I'll. I'll. I'll get a whale, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> I really love the whole pack rack thing. I think that was one of the first things. Like a lot of cool stuff happens in the show, but seeing the pack rats do their thing is actually very cool. And I really love the sort of interplay between the two. I really enjoy the whole actual salt on the island itself. You know, with the whale and the uh, cobra side, the moccasins, and then G.I. Joe introducing the manta for a brief moment. <laughs> That's the uh, the the wing, windsurf board, I suppose. I don't know. What would you call that? Uh, I don't love... Yeah, yeah it's, it's a windsurfer. Windsurfer, yeah. Um, I enjoyed a lot of that. I, I love the variety, all the new toys that this uh, episode brings in. I love, like, Ricondo and mantas. Whale, I like whale more. That was probably one of the highlights for me as well. It's it's a silly thing. It's just that's pretty much what I draw the most from in this episode. And also, yeah, I don't know. Maybe for that brief second where um, Shipwreck kind of rocks up and you know he's riding shotgun with Lady J in the back of Sky Striker. For me, that's quite a cool point. It's a high point because I laughed and I thought it was sweet um, <laughs> in a, in a lot of ways, you know. And and my brain just took it the wrong way. Hobra. Yes. Okay. <laughs> It's like Hodor, just Hobra. And uh, Torpedo's terrible nickname, which is, of course, if you weren't paying attention earlier, Pedo! <laughs> oh, yeah. And someone else calls Gung-Ho G-H. Yes. Do they? Oh, I think wow, it was in the previous episode. Wow. 
Okay, yeah. I've got to watch these episodes again. Yeah, yeah episode two. I think thing. Doc probably Doc or one of the girls says something about GH. Yeah, okay, GH. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, that's a low point right there. Mm. <laughs> I must just say that the voice acting is terrific. I love mm. hearing what these characters sound like. Even Thanks. if it's a little bit further from my imagining of what these characters sound like. Like, I adore the way Lady J sounds. I love Even though her. I always imagined she had a little bit of a, an Irish lilt. She doesn't seem to have it in the cartoon, but that's okay, because I love what the voice actor is doing. I also love that she's not very girly girl, if that makes any sense. Like, the voice actress... Didn't... Definitely smokes a pack a day, right? Yeah, she just... Is that where you going? Yeah, well, she's got a sexy voice. She doesn't try to play on the stereotype. She she definitely mm. sort of pulls her inspiration from older cinema in a lot of ways. With the way Lady J's lines are delivered. And I can she's say the same about Scarlett. Yeah, Scarlett's also got a very cool voice. Um, BJ Ward, I think her name was. Yeah, that's her name. Mm. Yeah, so... Um, <laughs> Any woman with the name BJ. There's a woman you want to know. Uh, I know, right? The hour is late. So, um, how about you, Rob? Highs and lows? Well, my highs of the episode are, are probably the sort of things that I read into things, like that little moment with Shipwreck at the start of the episode and um, Lady J reacting to Shipwreck's interest. <laughs> Yo, Joe! It is cool. Yes. It is cool, right? It I is mean... cool. I mean, I don't know if that's intentional, but it's, it's how I read that scene. That that moment, and then also Flint reacting to Gung Ho being there. Those are probably my favorite <laughs> little moments in this episode. And and of course freedom and the the star, the throwing star. <laughs> I don't know. For me, overall the episode is kind of a low. I mean, the the action seems very repetitive, and like you can see there, it's at stalemates. I mean, especially at the the island of return. They're just shooting at each other, and it's like, oh, what are we doing? We're just shooting at each other. Why do we send people off to try and find this thing? I mean, they do, but it's we've got to keep each other occupied. And then, like, the complete implausibility of the Palace of Doom and the giant robot and the rock monster attacking each other. It's like, you didn't need to do that. You could have just got more inventive with your characters. Which brings me to star ratings. For me, I'm going to give this episode two stars. This is definitely, so far out of these three episodes, is the low point. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, yes, they've, they've expanded what they're doing. You know, they have three locations we, they're going to go to. But it's like, you guys are just, it feels like filler. The last episode set it up interestingly. Oh, it's broken in three pieces. What's going to happen? But now these two locations feel like filler. I mean, Giorgio lose the piece at the Palace of the Doom, but they gain the piece of the Wither Dominator at the Island of No Return. And so it all falls on the final location where Cobra Commander and Destro are going. Or at least that's where they said they personally were going to go. So it feels like that's really the only battle that matters. My biggest criticism of this episode, it's the attack of the clones. Totally. I think the performances com- were stronger, though. Yes. No, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, no, that's, definitely. That's why. That attack of the clones. <laughs> wow. So bad. But, uh, and I think what the a- animation was slightly stronger. Yeah, yeah, it's starting to look better. I mean, they got very inventive. That in that. attack of the clones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, the other thing is, is that 
it's very difficult to distinguish between Palace of Doom and Island of No Return. The way oh, that one has water. No, obviously, but <laughs> what I'm trying to say is is that the editing of the episode, you actually do find yourself going, okay, wait, hold on. Is this Palace of Doom deeper in the Island of No Return? Sometimes you, mm. you get that. There is this disconnect. And I, I often find myself, uh, even when I watched it today, I was like, the hell? Oh, yeah, actually, there are two different locations. Okay. I think you okay. were playing with your G.I. Joe toys a little too hard at that point because... Yeah. I let the cartoon have my undivided, and I kind of knew where we were and when. Yeah, it's, but it's listen, different strokes. That's possible. That's possible. Yeah. I just feel it's not as strong. A strong and, and and I do give it two because I think it's 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 a better toy commercial than it is an episode. Yeah. Hmm. So that's two out of five from Rob and two out of five from Paul. Yes. And this episode is begging me to up its score. I gave. The previous episode, 2.5. And I'm yeah. trying to decide for myself whether or not this episode bettered it. And I'd have to say, this episode, at least it didn't pit G.I. Joe up against lightning and hail. <laughs> yeah. So, immediately it's got something going for it. The question then remains, does this episode's battle sequences beat out... Shipwrecks reveal in episode two. Mm. Tough, tough one. Yeah. Part of me is is kind of upset we didn't get more Ricondo action because I really loved the delivery on the voice actor, whoever played Ricondo, mm. gave it a really cool ring. Like this is you know some badass dude sneaking through the jungle. He's gonna tear Cobra a new one. I think. I'm most upset by the potential that this episode had to be a covert jungle sneaking mission. But unfortunately, like so many times in this cartoon series, more often than not, it just boils down to a massive uh, exchange of red and blue lasers. Yeah, Mm. exactly. Mm. Hmm. So if I'm honest with myself, I cannot say that this episode bettered the previous episode, I'm going to give it the same score, 2.5 out of 5, giving it an average score of 2.25. Wow. <laughs> no, my math is wrong. 2 plus 6.5 I divided couldn't by tell three. you if it was. I don't know. Uh, but in any case, um, not the finest effort. But you pointed out an interesting thing, Rob. At least yeah. it leaves us with two episodes in hand and G.I. Joe having one component, Cobra having mm. another component. And now, for all intents and purposes, it's down to the wire on this last fight. Mm. And yet there, there are added complications because whoever wins the last piece only has two pieces and you need all three to either harness the weather dominator for good or harness it for evil Mm. so hmm, interesting what's going to happen dear listeners find out same time tomorrow on G.I. Joburg or you can just watch the cartoon but hey (laughs) this is way more fun in it we'll be back this is Steve signing off this is Paul saying goodnight 
This is Rob. Hoobra! Hoobra! Hoobra!